You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. We are on our way this morning to Joshua 15, but if you want to stop off in the book of Jeremiah, that would be great. I'm going to actually read from Jeremiah first, and then we will be working through Joshua 15. So if you want to turn to Jeremiah 17, um, that would be great to look that up. Jeremiah 17, and I'll read from there. Um, I want to show you a picture from last week. This is Madeline and Esther, and Madeline came, <laughs> I put it up there. Madeline came up to me after the service. She said, Dad, this is my picture. So Madeline was holding Esther during the service, so she can draw me something. So I thought, that's fine, that'll do. So that's great. So adults, if you want to, you know, whatever. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Madeline. That's a great picture, too. I love it. Yeah, so anyway. Well, we're at Jeremiah 17, if you're there. Now, we're going to be talking about Judah today, so it is, I think, interesting, providential. Here in Jeremiah 17, Judah is mentioned, although the sin of Judah is what is mentioned. Let me read to you God's Word, His holy Word, His gracious Word to us. I'm going to read Jeremiah 17, 1 through 13, and then, we'll, then like I said, we'll get to our, our passage for today. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim. Beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days they will leave him, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Let me pray for us. Lord, in you there is delight and joy forever. You are the fountain of living water. 
And Lord, we come, and I pray we would come today thirsty for you, hungry and thirsting and saying, Lord, I need you. Father, perhaps we don't realize how much we need you. Father, as we study your word this morning, through this chapter 15 of Joshua that you have inscribed, you have breathed out by the writers of long ago, it is your word. And so we want to treat it as your word with reverence and to listen to every word that you've written in Scripture, every word of it. And Lord, lead us to you, to the fountain of living water. We pray that you do this by your spirit today in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to turn to Joshua 15, we'll pick up on this in, in a little bit. You make your way to Joshua chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter today. To have all the land in the world, the best tracts of land, the most abundant and beautiful of lands, and to not have the Lord God is to really have nothing. Do you believe that? To be a success in the world's eyes, to make it, to be the best athlete, to really win at life, and to not have the Lord is to have nothing. That there's really no blessing apart from having the Lord as thy God through Jesus Christ. All, all our success in life, the houses we might build or buy, the things we might do, all of what we might look on in terms of our earthly existence is nothing without the blessing of the presence of God in our lives. We're in Joshua 15, and we're going to see if we cannot find this principle in this chapter before us. Now, before we get into the passage, if you look, it's a, it's a longer one than we're used to, 63 verses. We're going to we're going to cover him with the belief that this is God's word. Every part of it is. And so that's why we're going. And perhaps tempting to go, there's a lot of names here. Let's just move on. We're here. And so may God guide us here. Before we get into this passage, I want to sort of rewind a bit, just a bit, to remember just how this land came about for Israel. Because we're going to be looking at specifically Judah today and their inheritance. Their particular section of allotment, what God had given to them. How did this land in general come about? Let me just take you on a brief, just uh, throw back, go back in the past a little bit. Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. Some, some 600 years before where we're at today in Joshua 15, before Israel would take this land, here's what Scripture says. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, this land that we're in, that we're talking about in Joshua, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river, the river Euphrates, uh, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. 600 years ago, this land is promised. Fast forward then, Deuteronomy 8 Moses speaks of the land God's bringing them into, that he's going to bring Israel into. Here's what he says of the land. Before they've entered it, here's what is said of this land. 
So Moses to Israel, he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines. I think that's the good kind of vine, you know, not not weedy vines, vines. Fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But Deuteronomy 9 then keeps Israel from thinking they've earned this great land before them. It says this, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God is graciously keeping his word from years ago. His covenant with Abraham. And it's a gift to Israel. Now we're going to read through in just a bit. We're going to read through Joshua 15, parts of it here, verses 1 through 12. We're going to skip 13 through 19 and come back to it, and then 20 to the end. Uh, I want to bring up a map. We do have one map in there, right? Okay, this is my photo of the day. Here's Judah, kind of elongated, but we're going to read about boundaries. And they're not all on here, but you can kind of see the green of Judah. Simeon's in the middle there. We haven't gotten to Simeon yet. But you can kind of see the outline of the green shade there, they've drawn out what we're going to read. And as I read through this list, I want you to hear something over and over again. Because I don't want you to hear how hard some of these names are to pronounce or how unfamiliar they are and you go, where is that place? I don't, let me look and I don't know where. Here's what I want you to hear as I read these names and these city names even. I want you to hear each listing of God's gracious provision to a rebellious nation. This city, after this city, after this boundary, here and there. God's gift to a rebellious nation. I want you to hear that as I read through this. His, his keeping of a promise, a covenant, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he would give them this promised land. So you ready? Here we go. So Joshua 15 and verse 1 then. The allotment for the tribe of the people, and you can leave that map up while I'm reading this. The allotment for the tribe of the people of Judah, according to their clans, reached southward to the boundary of Edom, to the wilderness of Zin at the farthest south. And their south boundary ran from the end of the Salt Sea, from the bay that faces southward. And it goes southward of the ascent of Akrabim, passes along to Zin, and goes up south of Kadesh Barnea, along by Hezron, up to Adar, turns about to Karka, passes along to Asmon, goes out by the brook of Egypt and comes to its end at the sea. This shall be your south boundary. And the east boundary is the Salt Sea to the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary on the north side runs from the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary goes up to Beth Hagla, passes along north of Beth Arabah, And the boundary goes up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. 
And the boundary goes up to Debir from the valley of Achor, and so northward, turning toward Gilgal, which is opposite the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. The boundary passes along to the waters of En Shemesh and ends at En Ragel. Then the boundary goes up by the valley of the son of Hinnom at the southern shoulder of the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem. Oh, okay, maybe we know where we're at, all right? Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain that lies over against the valley of Hinnom on the west at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. Then the boundary extends from the top of the mountain to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah, from there to the cities of Mount Ephron. Then the boundary bends around to Baalah, that is Kiryat Jerim, and the boundary circles west of Baalah to Mount Seir, passes along to the northern shoulder of Mount Jerim, that is Cheselon, probably Cheselon, and goes down to Beth Shemesh and passes along by Timnah. The boundary goes out to the shoulder of the hill north of Ekron. Then the boundary bends around to Shikharan and passes along to Mount Baalah and goes out to Jabneel. Then the boundary comes to an end at the sea. And the west boundary was the great sea with its coastline. This is the boundary around the people of Judah according to their clans. Okay, great. You got all that? There it is. There it is in written form. Now, just skip down. I'm not skipping script. We're going to come back to this, but skip down with your eyes to verse 20. Now let's fill in the cities of this place. It says, This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Judah according to their clans. The cities belonging to the tribe of the people of Judah in the extreme south, toward the boundary of Edom, where Kabzael, Edder, Jaguar, Kinah, Dimona, Adada, Kadesh, Hazor, Ithnan, Zif, Telem, Be'ela, Hazor, Hadata, Keriod, Hezron, that is Hazor, Amam, Shema, Mol'ada, Hazar, Gada, Heshman, Beth, Pelet, Hazar, Shaul, Beersheba, Bizyotia, Ba'ala, Im, Ezim, Eltolad, Kesil, Horma, Ziklag, Madman, Na, Sansana, Lebaoth, Shilhim, Ain, Rimon, in all, 29 cities with their villages. Now let me just stop here a second because I don't think this is anywhere else. 29. Actually, if you count them up, there's 36 if you're into that sort of thing. Here's what's neat. Later on, the tribe of Simeon would be given, uh, I believe it's seven of these cities. The Bible's not inaccurate. If you're counting and then there's 29, but there's 36, there's just some neat things going on. So don't let it throw you if you're counting like that. Okay, verse 33. I just need a break pronouncing things. Okay, verse 33. And in the lowland, Eshtaol, Zorah, Ashnah, Zanoa, En Ganim, Tapua, Enam, Jarmuth, Adulam, Sokah, Azekah, Sha'araim, Adathaim, Gedarah, Gedarothaim, 14 cities with their villages. Zanan, Hadash, Migdaldad, Dilian, Mitzpah, Jakthel, Lakish, Bazkat, Eglon, Kababon, Lavmam, Kitlish, Gedarath, Bet Dagon, uh, Naama, and Makeda, 16 cities with their villages. Libna, Eter, Ashan, Iphtha, Ashna, Nezib, Kela, 
Akzib and Marashah, nine cities with their villages. Ekron with its towns and its villages. From Ekron to the sea, all that were by the side of Ashdod with their villages. Ashdod, its towns and its villages. Gaza, its towns and its villages. To the brook of Egypt and the great sea with its coastline. And in the hill country, Shamir, Jatir, Soka, Dana, Kiryat Sana, that is Debir, Anab, Eshtemo, Anim, Goshen, Holan, and Gilo, eleven cities with their villages. Arab, Duma, Eshan, Janim, Beth Tapua, Afaka, Humta, Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their villages. Maon, Carmel, Zif, Jutah, Jezreel, Jakdeam, Zanoah, Cain, Gibeah, and Timnah, ten cities with their villages. Hul, Bethzur, Gedor, Ma'arath, Beth Anath, and Elk, uh, Eltakan, six cities with their villages. Kiryat Baal, that is Kiryat Jerim, and Rabbah, two cities with their villages. In the wilderness, Beth Arabah, Midim, Sekaka, Nibshan, the city of Salt, and Engedi, six cities with their villages. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. And I think next week as we look into the account of Joseph, we'll, we'll talk about this last verse here perhaps a little more. We're not going to get into that necessarily today. All of this hard, whatever names they are and however much we don't understand, all of these places by God's gracious hand of promise and covenant to Abraham to give a land to him. So what then is the danger for Israel in this immense blessing of land? What's their danger? The danger is forgetting and leaving or abandoning the giver of the land. The danger is leaving the God who has given them all of this. Living in the land, this beautiful land, with no regard for the God who's given them the land. Here's what Deuteronomy 8 warned them. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. The blessing of the land, so the blessing of the land in and of itself is really of no value without the worship of the God who gave them the land. Now we looked here at verses 1 through 12. We skipped 13 and 19. We went on to the cities. Now we're going to come back to 13 through 19. Hopefully, it's going to become clear, perhaps, as to why I'm taking this route and this line, land and worship of the Lord and blessing and these sorts of things, kind of stemming from this little narrative that is tucked away in the middle of this entire chapter. So let's look at it. I'm going to read it through, and then we'll just kind of look at it a little bit. So if you can take your eyes back now to verse 13, and we'll look through verse 19. Here's what it says. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah. Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir 
Now, the name of Debir formerly was Kiriat Sefer. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes Kiriat Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as, a, as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Nagab, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Tucked away again in this 63-verse passage is this little seven-verse narrative. The wording seems a bit difficult. We're really given no, no kind of explanation. Here's why this is tucked away right here. And I'm just admitting to you this week, it feels like I've been in a wrestling match with this passage going, what? How do we, what's going on here? And pulling out and reminding this is God's Word, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. What's this doing here? What does this mean? How how am I going to preach this? But I want to encourage you, and this is just an encouragement as you read your own Scriptures. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. It helps, but... You can read commentaries, but as I read them, the more you kind of go, I don't know, maybe, yeah. I I didn't find it necessarily helpful. Some of the things are helpful. I want to encourage you in your own Bible study to take time to wrestle, to pray about a passage. Lord, this is your word, so what do you have for me here? And then to read it, to, to get into it, to study it, maybe read it again, and wrestle with it. And say, what are you, what's the meaning here? What's going on? And even with that said, it's still, it can be hard work. But we talked about weeks ago, gold is not found at the surface. These, all these shows about finding gold, they seem to be going, in, going down or diving or whatever to find this stuff. They've got to dig for it. It takes some effort. We'd say spirit inspired effort the one who wrote it lord help me and then god gave us minds to think through and to to wrestle with these things and so in a sense we're mining for gold and and i i think there's something that we can glean here something it's teaching us beyond just and i think this is valid beyond here is judah here are their boundaries as a as a historical record for the people of israel i think that's part of this but is there more with this story just tucked in here I believe there is. You test me on that. Test scriptures. Test what is being said from this. So let's look at it. Verses 13 through 19. We read it. Sort of a continuance from our study last week in chapter uh, 14 that we looked at Caleb coming to Joshua. I want that inheritance. Uh, I think it was 45 years ago. He went into the land and, and God had given them this inheritance, this and, and he was saying, I want Hebron, this is the place. And so here we kind of just see that being played out. Joshua blesses Caleb with this inheritance of Hebron. In verse 13 we see Joshua gives it to Caleb, the, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah. And over and over, this is how Caleb is identified, the son of Jephunneh. I think it's, sort of, it's kind of like a last name. You know, so many Calebs or so many of these, Joshua, 
Joshua, the son of Nun. Caleb, which Caleb? The son of Jephunneh. Now, this is kind of beyond our study, but in more time than what would be well used here. But it seems like Caleb's line, the son of Jephunneh, Jephunneh was a Kenizzite, if I'm even saying that right. He goes back, that traces a line not back to Jacob from the tribes of Israel, Jacob called Israel. It traces its line back to Esau, Jacob's brother. Caleb has a lineage not back to Jacob, but back to Esau. And somewhere along, these maybe sons of Canaz, these Kenizzites, were brought in to the tribe of Judah. And here, Caleb is a leader of the tribe. This is kind of fascinating when you think of this is like the premier tribe. The scepter is not going to be depart from Judah. And here's Caleb, kind of foreign. I mean, not of the line of Abraham, but a foreign in a sense of true Israel. And here they've been grafted in to this. Well, you can study that a little bit more. Perhaps it's Caleb's belief and his faith and his leadership, his trust in God that gives him the, kind of this leadership position. I think we see that again today in just his going forward. Well, verse 14 tells us, to kind of work through our verses, tells us he did drive out. Caleb drove out. We're going to see next week many, many tribes did not drive out. Uh, the Jebusites, even at the bottom of this, they, the uh, people of Judah could not drive them out. Caleb, he drives them out. He drives out these three sons of Anak, Sheshay, Ahiman, Talmai. And then from there, he goes up to Debir or Kiriat Sefer or Sefir. Uh, literally, it's like the city of the records or documents, maybe book, but it seems like city of records. Maybe these were the, the records of the people of the Anakim. This is the city of records. And so they're going up. Uh, perhaps it's well fortified because of these records. I don't think Caleb's being lazy here by not going, but he seeks someone to go before them. And here in verse 16, that's the challenge. Um, challenge is given by Caleb. Let me just read it. So we're caught up in 16. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes Kiriath, Saphir, and captures it, to him will I give Aksah, my daughter, as wife. And then verse 17 gives us the details. There it is. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave him Aksah, his daughter, as, as wife. I mean, there's one way to get a wife. I haven't heard many dads say go capture a city, but this is one way for that to take place. Now, depending on how you read this account, if you're reading closely with me, you're, you're following along, you're going, okay, is Othniel Caleb's brother and he married Caleb's daughter? The uncle married his niece? It's possible. I think a, a better way to read it is just to look through it, is to say Othniel, the son of Canaz, the brother of Caleb. Who's the brother of Caleb? Canaz. Uh, over and over, Caleb's not the son of Canaz. Caleb's the son of Jephunneh, right? We all know that now, okay? So, so this matters. So Caleb's son of Jephunneh. Okay, that helps us now go, okay, Othniel's the son of Canaz, the brother of Caleb. So instead of an uncle and a niece, now we've got a cousin and a cousin, Maybe we can 
handle that a little better as we read that. I don't know, it's a little different back then. Okay, but that seems to be the relationship going on. So Othniel goes, he takes the city. Perhaps he's already in love with Aksa. I don't know, maybe he saw her. He says, if this is my chance, I'm going. And he goes and takes the city. Where, where love shall take us, right? Look again now, and now let's look at verse 18 and 19. And now we get, oh, we're, we're going to scratch a little harder here. So verse 18, when, yeah, when she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field, and she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? Now, there's some pronouns here. What's going on? When she came to him, let's just start with the verse, kind of take it apart. When she came to him, who? I believe it's came to Othniel. This is when Aksa came to her new husband, Othniel. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. That's what she's saying now to Othniel. She's urging him, I want a field. And it's, it's hard to discern here whether Aksa, was she wrong in doing so much asking and demanding? You know, later on, I mean, we see in verse 19, Give me a blessing. I, I, you gave me land. I want springs also. Is this kind of, is she just asking, demanding, urging for a field, this sort of thing? Or was she acting according to marriage customs and she was honoring to her new husband and father? Again, it's just hard to discern here. I'm not taking the line that says Axaw was acting in an honorable way, but commentators differ. I think it's, it's likely this field was part of her marriage this dowry, this kind of what Caleb would give to his daughter as she was married away as part of her marriage. Okay? Well, let's keep going. So we're thinking about the field. She's asking Othniel. That seems to take place, and then it seems like there's a gap of time. I don't know if there's how much gap, but the next thing we read is she got off her donkey. I'm, I'm not sure just who had and who didn't have donkeys at this time. It seems like a, a status of wealth, perhaps. I mean, maybe to us, um, we think of it maybe an old way of saying she had dad's red sports car. She had a donkey, maybe. I don't know. You know, you ride a donkey around, maybe a sign of wealth, that sort of thing. She's got this, but based on what I've read, getting off the donkey, we're, just, <laughs> we're looking at phrases here, she got off the can indicate a, a, a posture of humility. She's not up on the donkey saying, Dad, Dad, I want the, you got the, the land, I need the springs as well. She's getting off, she's coming to ask her dad for something. And Caleb says to her, what do you want? What to you? What do you want? And so the timing here seems to now take place, again, if you're following with me, timing takes place, uh, Axaw asks Othniel, ask my dad for a field, and then Aksa comes to Caleb, gets off her donkey. Caleb says, what do you want? The field has presumably been given already. And Aksa wants something else, and we find it in verse 19. She said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Give me a blessing. You gave me the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. And I'm tying the field and this land of the Negev kind of together as the same thing. To Aksa, 
The blessing was, was not just a field, not just land. To Aksah, this, this daughter of Caleb, wife of Othniel, she wanted the springs of water as well. Now, again, whether or not was she justified to ask for such, she asked. And I think when we think about it, this brings us now to land. When we think about it, we can understand. What good is land, especially in the Negeb, or another way to translate is South Country, um, or uh, one of the, the dictionaries talked about Negeb as a dry land. This could be, tra- think about dry land. What good is land, or this dry land, what good is it without a water source? One is simply worthless without the other. Farmer, we all know this. No rain, no crops. We, we love living in Minnesota where there seems to be rain. Like we hardly water things. And uh, it's great. I mean, people are working around here to get it out of the fields, right? Get the water out. Water is, is in good supply, at least most of the time. But no rain, no crops. So no springs, no real use of the land in this I think in this idea. So, how does Caleb respond to his daughter's asking? Does he chew her out? Quit, quit asking, I already gave you a field. Or does he tell her, get, get back on your donkey, go back to your husband. You know, you're not, this is not your house anymore, go back to your husband. Head back, see you later. No, I believe he blesses his daughter. He blesses her. He gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So stay with me. Caleb grants to his daughter that which will provide the nourishment of the land. Okay? Caleb gives to his daughter that which is going to provide the nourishment of the land, that which will make the land fruitful, good for crops, a place to dwell. And it's here then that I think we can attempt to put this chapter together. God was gracious to Israel in giving her a land they did not earn. A land flowing with milk and honey. A precious place. And for Judah, with her boundaries and many cities, it was an inheritance given ultimately by God. But here's the danger and the, and the tie-in to why I think Caleb and Othniel and Aksah's story is here. Uh, this story is repeated almost word for word in Judges chapter 1. We're not going there, but it's repeated there. And in there, the ESV study Bible makes this note. It, it's, not, it's nothing earth-shattering, but it just, it, it's a note I want to bring out. They say, land without sources of fresh water was almost worthless. If you've got land, like we've said, without sources of fresh water, you have worthless land. The picture in the story is one of Caleb. He's driving out the Anakim. Othniel's taking Debir, and Aksah comes and asks for springs, for water. Again, land without water, without life-giving water is useless. And I think there's an image here that's going on of land and water. Now, think on this spiritually for Israel and Judah. So now, kind of, what's the spiritual lesson here? When we began, I read from Jeremiah... And Jeremiah 17, 13, the last verse I read, talks about Judah, talks about them having forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. For Israel, all the land would be worthless without water. 
Land was a good thing, but not without springs of water. Land was a good thing, but would be worthless if Israel, and in this case Judah, did not cling to the fountain of living water, their Lord. You see the connection of the springs? The giver of the land. The land was not the only sole purpose for Israel to just enjoy this. They were to come in, it was a gift, and they were to not forget the one who gave the gift. The fountain, the springs that make all the land livable in. To remember the Lord. And it's not far to jump from there to Jesus then, who says in John 4 to the woman at the well, he says, everyone who drinks of this water, it's water in the well, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus, God in the flesh, is the fountain of living water. And John the Baptist said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. In John 7.38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I think he's speaking of the life-giving Spirit, the Spirit who changes our heart, who unites us in Christ. So there's two aspects, two aspects of this as we as we wrap up the study and, and try to make some application out of this for us, and that is to fathers, especially today. I'm fathers, I'm, I'm, I can address fathers outside of Father's Day, right? So fathers, but mothers as well, grandparents, listen in, uncles, aunts, Sunday school teachers, those dealing with children, particular parents, but listen in. We have an opportunity to bless our children in ways beyond what this world may offer. Perhaps we want our own kids to succeed, to be successful in life, to, to get that degree, to have a family. We want to see them have a house, a land of their own. But none of the things of this life are worth anything if we do not bless our children with the one who is life, with Jesus Christ. New school year is beginning there's much we might want for our kids, m- much land, if that idea, if you're able to correlate that idea of land, success, if that makes sense that we want to give our kids. But I want to encourage you, and myself as well, to lead our kids to the fountain of life this year. To give them springs, in a sense, upper and lower, to give them springs of joy and peace and rest in Christ. I don't think this means we abandon sports, abandon knowledge, or all, any of these things. But that these things, without being rooted in the worship of God, are meaningless. So let us bless our children by giving them springs. Taking our thirsty children to Christ. Through prayer, through His Word, through even blessing them. Spoken words to them. O oh, son, daughter. May the Lord be your guide this year. May your eyes look on the Lord this year. Dads, I I would say don't be afraid. This is just a conviction to me. Don't be afraid to talk to your kids. We talk to them about other things. Hey, you should get better at this. You should do this sort of thing. To encourage and build them up and say, look to Jesus. An arm around, a blessing to say, look out there. That's who I want you to look to this year. Draw close to Jesus. Bless Our children, take them to the springs of Christ.
But lastly, in order to bless, we too must taste and see and drink from the living water. We, us, parents, fathers, mothers, teachers, whoever. It's a sermon to say, as Isaiah says, he says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You hear kind of just land as a whole? Well, spend it on that. Listen diligent to me, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this is a more difficult passage to tie in. Lord, I, I, I pray we take away from here our thankfulness for where you've placed us. Each one of us is placed where you have put us. The boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places, and we say, Lord, here's where you have us. But Lord, may we not, I'm praying for all of us, Lord, may we not rejoice in the simple land that we have here on earth but may it lead us to the giver of all things. May we worship you. Lord, may the fathers in this room bless their children this year, not just with things to do and how to get better at life, but with Christ to lead them to the fountain of living water. And Lord, guide each of us to taste and see that you are good and to hunger and thirst and to come. And to come by your grace that says, come and to worship you. We just pray you are leading in our lives by your Spirit. Lord, would you keep us from forgetting the giver of all these things, our Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.